Hey, if you've got your Bible with you, you might want to open it up to Luke chapter 3. We're going to go there in a few minutes. But before we do, I want to just step back. Last week, we touched on a message where we said it's actually okay to talk about Jesus. And a whole bunch of us, we actually rewrote a bunch of the narrative of culture that says don't talk about Jesus and actually took the statistics of our culture that says actually it is okay to talk about Jesus. And then we prayed together the prayer of the early church in Acts chapter 4, where we said um, uh, that the prayer of the early church, where we prayed together and we said, now Lord, considering our context, considering all that's going on, enable us to speak your word with great boldness. And then there was a bunch of people that came out the front for ministry last weekend to say, hey, I want to be able to share my story of Jesus with people. Can I just by way of hands, you may have been out the front, you may not have been, but if just just for a matter of survey, who had an opportunity this week, just pop your hand up, to share your story of Christ with anyone along the way? Just hands up. All right. Good stuff. Well done, guys. Now, take note, all of those people are alive. They're alive. They're alive. They shared their story of Jesus and they're still alive. I just want to point out the obvious. All right. Our cultural context is okay with sharing Jesus. And it's okay to talk about him. We'll jump onto the next slide. Um, During the week, we looked at a whole bunch of stuff from McCrindle last week about the journey towards faith. Um, But I also want to just pick up some stuff by a, a woman, Dr. Ruth Powell. She, she oversees an organisation called the National Church Life Survey in Australia. This is like the best survey of church culture anywhere in the world. They've been going for about 40 years and they are really sharp end in terms of how they get their information and what, uh, what comes out the other end of the funnel in terms of interpreting the information about church, about faith, about spirituality, about the Australian landscape and the Australian church. And here's some interesting insights. Firstly, I just put that quote of hers at the very top. So this woman knows everything there is to know about the people of Jesus in, the, in Australia. Like, church is going great, church is going terrible, Multiple, you know, multiple numbers of churches are closing, multiple churches are being planted. She knows the insides outs of every denomination, stream and um, stripe of church. And I love that opening quote. She says, I love the church and I have hope. Now often, I mean, that just flies in the face of the conversation or the narrative that wants to run around in our head and even in the spiritual environment that we live that tries to tell us that it's hopeless. It's hopeless. The church is unloving and it's hopeless. Well, this very smart, intelligent person here is actually, and as a follower of God, actually tells a different story. She says the church is loving and as a result of the church being loving, there is hope in our context. There is hope. We talked about that last week, didn't we? Be, be ready to give an account of the hope that you carry. 
be ready to talk about the hope that is in you. Not the hopelessness. The scripture calls us to be ready to give an account of the hope that you carry. Michael, you carry the hope of Christ. You do, mate. Lee, you carry the hope of Christ. Kobe, you carry the hope of Christ, mate. Be be ready to give an account for that, the reason for that hope. Now, often we feel very tongue-tied and twisted, don't we, sometimes about, oh, where do I start? What part of the gospel? What is the gospel? Who is, what do I say? Uh, Am I looking for, you know, people to end up on their knees, crying their eyes out and saying, I'm giving my life to Christ in this very moment. How do we go about doing all of this? And we often get a little tongue-tied and twisted and and, uh, crazy about all of that. But the hope that you have to give an account of is your story of Jesus. Your story of Jesus. People can knock a lot of things. They can push back on all sorts of doctrine or theology or reason or, or all sorts of stuff. But they can't, they can't deny your story. I remember that story of the, of the, of the man that was healed by Jesus his blindness was healed and 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 they were like they pulled him before the the courts of the day the because because it, it happened on a sabbath and and none of that sort of stuff was supposed to be taking place on a day of rest but Jesus was reinterpreting what sabbath meant which was the kingdom of god is now at hand and the blind can see that's god's good sabbath rest the kingdom and then they pulled him in front of the court and they said who How did this happen? Who did this? He says, well, here's my story. All I know is I was blind. This man, Jesus, prays for me, heals me, and now I can see. And then it's as if they tried to just discount what he said, and they run to his mum and dad. And it's like, we don't want to listen to that. We want to knock that. And then they go to mum and dad and say, what happened to this son of yours? And they're like, well, didn't you listen to him? He just told you. We've got nothing more to add to that. Your story is powerful. Your story of Jesus is worth sharing with the people along the way. And in fact, last week we looked at some stats to say that actually... More than half of Australia is waiting on Jesus' people to actually articulate their story of faith. They are willing and waiting for an invitation. The posture is not leaning away from spiritual things. It's actually more than one, more than half of Australians are leaning toward wanting to have spiritual conversation. We are in an amazing moment of kingdom life and harvest in the earth and even in our country. But Ruth says these things. Two in ten Australians describe themselves as atheist. A quarter of Australians pray at least weekly. That's 13.2 million Australians every week say a prayer. Now, I don't know if that 13.2 million are all directing them to our Father through Jesus Christ, 
but they've surely, I think a lot of them are probably shouting out, for want of a better phrase, a Hail Mary, like, hey God, here we are, would you turn up and help? I don't know where they're shooting it at or to who or how, but that what that tells us is that half of Australia is crying out for a spiritual authority to come and invade their reality and somehow turn it around. Half of Australia did that this week, the week that you and I just walked in. I didn't think we were praying people. I thought we were football mad. I thought we were given to sport like no other, you know, nowhere else on earth, and we are. But even in the craziness of all of everything that gets portrayed through the media streams and of the, of the narrative of who Australia is, you're never going to hear that. <laughs> Half of them are praying, God help. God help. Half of Australia is praying. More than half of believe in God or a higher power and open to spiritual experiences. Nearly four in ten say they will attend a church if they're invited. Think about who you just walked this week with. The ten people around you, the ten nearest. You had a 40% shot of someone joining you today just on the basis of an invitation. Do you know that? Australia is waiting for an invitation to come to church and have an experience with God. This is an exciting time. This is a very exciting time to live. Uh, let's just jump on to the, um, the next slide. Just a quick reminder of, hey, the, you know, the good old angle scale helps us to understand the journey to faith. People start down here at point one, no awareness of God, and they journey towards point 10, which is a decision for Christ, and then the discipleship journey begins once they hit 10 or they meet with Jesus. So basically, the studies tell us it takes 10 significant spiritual encounters and conversations for people to actually journey towards a relationship with Jesus. Thing is, you may know not you may not know <laughs> which encounter you're having with people until you're in them. They might be closer than you think. Nicole and I were meeting with a young guy the other week, and um, I thought he was like at one. I was like this guy because he walked in. He was big. He had a sense of presence, and he wanted me to know it. And it was, it was in our home, so he was obviously trying to sort of, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be an easy touch here or a soft touch. And so he just sort of stumped up, had some bravado about him, came in. We start meeting with him. And six weeks later, over six weeks, we met with him once a week. And on week six, we prayed together and asked the Holy Spirit to come. And the guy was just a, a blubbering mess on the floor under the Holy Spirit. Just journey with people on their way to Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And now we're trying to help this guy figure out, what do I do now? Now that I've jumped into this relationship with Jesus, what does that look like? So now we're having all these other conversations about, well, you know, how do you understand yourself how do you use your body? Well, how do you use your language? 
How do you use your eyes? How do you use your money? All these sorts of things if you're jumping in the pool with Jesus. But just remember, people are on the journey toward Christ. And, and God needs each and every one of us to be a part of that journey. 40% of the people around you are waiting for an invitation to come and join with you in church. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? We wouldn't have enough furniture if you all did that. That would be a delightful problem, wouldn't it? Hey? That would just be an absolutely delightful problem. Yeah, we'd just have to sit on the floor. We'd just have to sit on the floor. How great would that be? What a vision. God, burn that in our heart. Put that in our heart. God, run out of furniture, have to sit on the floor. Put that in our heart, God. 40% of the people I'm walking with are waiting for an invitation to come to church and hear the good news of Jesus. So Luke chapter 3, if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to pick up chapter 1. I just want to share a few quick thoughts this morning about preparing our hearts as we move into the Advent season. Okay, so Advent is this time in the Christian calendar where we begin the journey of focusing the attention of our life and our mind and our heart towards the good news of God in the sending of his son Jesus, born as king and saviour of the world. And we begin to zero in on that and start to give ourselves some focus about that. And so I, I just want to take a bit of time this morning to say, hey, let's, let's not just like accidentally fall into Advent this year and wake up and go, oh, oh it's Advent, I better do something. Let's, let's actually posture our life in relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and say, we, we actually really want to grow in a moment like this, like flourish. Don't want to just be overwhelmed with the, the commercial realities of our culture. I actually really want to flourish in this season, okay? So in Luke chapter 3, um, we're going to pick up in Luke's gospel here, where Luke um, records about John the Baptist. Now, as you're getting ready for that, at the start of this year in February, when we held the Vineyard Australia prayer retreat in Collaroy, down in New South Wales, one of the mornings, just before the sun rised, rose, <laughs> rised, <laughs> came up, we all decided... <laughs> English, anyway, we all decided we would go down to the beach before the sun came up so that we could watch the sun rise. And um, have you ever done something like that? You know, you've gone either to a mountain top to watch the sun come up over a mountain or you've sat on the beach and watched the sun come up. There's this, be it's a beautiful experience where you actually, there's the moment where everyone rushes to get there and you're all waiting the waiting, the waiting. You can just see that, you know, the, the, the light is just starting to come towards the horizon. And you're waiting and you're waiting. And it's the most beautiful thing when the sun finally kind of breaks that horizon and starts to fill everything with its light. You ever been there or am I the only one? That's awesome. I don't know, maybe it's because I'm getting older. I'm liking that stuff more. I don't know. 
Corey's going the other way. He's going motorbikes. Mm. All right. But anyway, watching the sun come up, there's this moment of waiting. There's this moment of the sun is about to break over us and it's going to arrive. It's going to be here. And the waiting, especially when it comes to Advent, it's a bit like this in the Advent season. It's a time of waiting with joyful expectation about the beauty of God that's about to invade the earth with the Lordship of Jesus. Advent is the season of waiting and arrival. Each year as we head towards this celebration, it's a time where we um, choose to, again, let the warmth of Christ come and fill our lives. And it's an important time to take to ask him to prepare our hearts to make room for him, to make room for his lordship and room for his kingdom. So Luke chapter 3, it's on the screen there if you, if you haven't got a Bible, but if you have got one, I encourage you to open it up. So the first um, three ver- or two, two verses are all about the context. Who's ruling in power? Who's got authority? Roman, Jewish, all the constructs, everything's in place. And it's filled with lots of big names and words that I'm going to trip over. So I'm just going to come straight down to verse 3 and pick up in verse 3, okay? I was once taught by a very wise man. He said, and he'd been a preacher of many, many years. He would, when he would preach, he would read the Bible in front of people and he would he would be reading along and then he would go, you know, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea and Herod the word too hard of Galilee and his brother Philip word too hard of word too hard and word too hard and word too hard, word too hard of word too hard. And so it just takes the pressure off, doesn't it? <laughs> just want to give you permission. Take the pressure off. And if you've got the time, you might want to actually take some time and open up like a commentary. That might help you understand who those people are and where they fit in the big picture of God's story. But anyway, let's pick up in verse 3. So, um, or the end of verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. As it is written in the book of the words, Isaiah the prophet. So here's Luke. He's going back into the long story of God through Israel. And he's grabbing one of the greatest prophets of all time, Isaiah. And he's saying, this guy, John, he's actually the guy that Isaiah's prophesied about long ago would come as a pre-runner to the Messiah, to the Son of God coming. And he says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight and the rough ways smooth. And the people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds that were coming out to be baptized by him. This is a little bit tense here. Anyway, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. So he's having a really strong strike into, he's got words to say about the behavior of the people of Israel of, who were claiming to be Abraham's children and God's elect on the basis of their um, self-righteousness. And, 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 and basically, he's coming along and saying, guys, it's by faith. You know, in fact, if God wanted these, these rocks could actually cry out that, that, that Jesus is Lord or the King is coming. And at the same time, he's, he's saying to them, look, on the basis of relationship with God now, there is a massive fulfillment about to break into the world. And he says the axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that doesn't produce fruit, good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And he's also saying, <laughs> this is the other thing, he's also saying to the, to the audience there, he's saying, hey, just because... You're, you're, you can't claim, um, you know, favour with God on the basis of just because your father and his father and his father before him did this relationship stuff with God. This, this is on you. What's your status of relationship with God? You can't lean on that. And John answered, anyone... He's, oh, sorry. Produce fruit and, um, and uh, we're keeping in repentance. John, they said, what should we do then? And the crowd asked, the crowd asked, good question. What should I do? John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Remember how we touched on this scripture earlier in the year? It, with regards to the whole idea of kingdom generosity. Um, should do the same. Even the tax collectors came to be baptised. This is such a radical story. Teacher, they said, what should we do? And he said, don't collect any more than you're required to. He exposed their corruption. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and they were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them, I baptise you with water, but there's one who's more powerful than I that'll come and the straps of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie and he'll baptise you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is, at, is, is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch, which is like the, the Jewish ruler of the day, he was having a rebuke of his behaviour because of his marriage to Herodias's, to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other things that he'd done, Herod added this to them all and he locked John up in prison. It's a, it's a pretty full-on account, isn't it, where John the Baptist is actually saying, you've got to get yourself ready to receive the kingdom. 
most of the time the kingdom sneaks up on us and I think it sneaked up on them in that context as well. It was like it arrived on their door before they realised what was arriving. And yet at the same time, there are those in that story and even in our story that should be able to see and recognise the visitations of God, the coming of God over our life. This time of year, we tend to get hectic getting ready. We get, we get exhausted trying to finalise everything that we need to finalise. But I want to invite us all to have an encounter with the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And our greatest challenge is to slow down enough to be present and welcome him. And welcome him. So here's a few little things I want to just encourage you with as, uh, as we head in towards the Advent season. We'll jump over to the, um, the, the first green circle would be great. Thanks, Stephen. It's a season of remembering. A season of remembering. Actually, yesterday was a very important day in our context, our Australian context. It was a day where we remembered the end of the First Great War and all wars. We stop. We remember. So it's not like it's foreign to us. We know how to stop and remember. And I want to encourage you. This Advent, as you start now to move in towards that, the, the end of December where we celebrate the birth of Christ with our loved ones and with the poor and our friends, let's take time to stop and remember. Remember, in the Advent event, in the coming of Christ, in his first coming, God is, has come in Jesus into his world, his creation. God has taken on flesh, human form, in his son to rescue the world. Stop and remember that. Remembering is an important practice in our discipleship with Jesus. That was what was going on when Luke wrote his gospel when he was looking at the, the activities of John the Baptist, and the best way that he could interpret that was to remember what Isaiah had previously prophesied would come. There would be a voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Stop. Luke stopped in that moment and he remembered. When was the last time you stopped? Remembering is an important practice. Often, though, we get, usually when we go into those moments of, I'm going to stop and remember a little bit of stuff, we tend to get caught up in nostalgia of a bygone era. We tend to kind of get caught up in, oh, it was way better back then, or, oh, if only things were like that then, back now, like back then. We get kind of caught up in the nostalgia of our own story. I'm not asking you to get... The scriptures aren't asking you to get caught up in remembering your own story. The scriptures are inviting you to get caught up and be recentered into the story of God rescuing his world. Stop and remember. I don't have to stop to remember my own story. I'm stuck in that thing all the time. And by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, I'm actually able to 
to take myself out of the centre and let Jesus be the Lord. That gives me peace of mind. That gives me um, faith for tomorrow and the hope of the kingdom in the present. Stop and remember. That's what, that's what Luke was doing there in, in, as, he, as he recalls Isaiah's prophecy. He's saying, hey, anyone that's got half an inkling of an, of an idea here to have a listen. God's centering everyone again back into his rescue plan for the world. Stop and remember that this Advent. God has in Jesus and is continuing to do so in Jesus, rescuing his world. And you and I are caught up in that good news story by faith and with thanksgiving. Remember, now when nostalgia comes along and wants to start to paint the picture, just go, yeah, 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 that was good, but I want to keep it on Jesus. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate the good stuff out of all that, but that's not where we're living now and who we're living in. Many times when we gather in these sorts of seasons over the next couple of weeks and months, we'll be in different settings, casual settings, barbecues, dinner tables, and and the conversations will be, oh, remember when, you know, with the family, remember when they got that first car? Remember that first, you know, pet that we had called Sparky the Budgie? You know, just like... We actually did. We did. We had a budgie called Spuggy. But anyway, and remember when, and we get caught up into all of that. But I just want to encourage you, take the time with the Holy Spirit to remember how God has come and has revealed his love to you and me and to the people that we're sitting with and enjoying fellowship and food with or serving and caring for in our workplaces. Remember how even in our day-to-day activities, God is centering us in the saving work of Jesus. You are not walking in the hospitals as nurses and as doctors and as practitioners, um, you, you know, to fulfill your story. You've been saved up into the saving story of King Jesus, who through your vocation is bringing his good news to those that you're working with every day. Advent is an invitation to remember, to find ourselves in the moments of God, to remember his rescuing, his ruling, and his reigning. Advent is a time to remind our forgetfulness, Psalm 103, of our, of our, you know, that our life and our friends and our families don't forget God's come to help. When did God come and rescue you? How has he continued to rescue you? What is the rescuing thing that he's doing right now in your life? He's centering you in the lordship of his son, Jesus. Advent is a time to remember that God is with us. God is with us. Next slide. Thanks, Stephen. It's also a season of anticipation. In Luke 3.15, it says that, The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering, is is John the Messiah? 
just like the sunrise at the beach at the at Collaroy earlier in February this year when we were down there praying, we were waiting for the sun to rise. Even like the times where I, the few times where my kids, when they were growing up and they went on their first sort of international trip, you know, and you're waiting in the waiting zone in the foyer behind the, with the doors closed and you wait for the doors to open, it's them. There they are and everyone rushes out and the big hugs and Tears and laughter and balloons and all that fun stuff. We're waiting expectantly for the arrival of our loved ones. We're waiting expectantly for the arrival of the sun to break in over us. This is the posture and the orientation of people whose lives are centered in the saving work of God. We are waiting with a a sense of anticipation. God is about to break in. It's about to happen. It's about to reveal itself. It's about to break through. The the constant leaning is looking forward to. This is the nature of being a follower of Jesus. Even in the times where I've waited, the anticipation grows. The building reality of arrival, that it's nearly here. It's almost like I could burst. It's about to happen. John the Baptist arrived on the scene in a context of the story of God and the biblical witness that says God is now ready and about to break in on your expectation. He's about to come and fulfill it. God was, uh, John was operating in the tradition of the prophets of old and he was letting anyone who had an ear to hear that God is about to bust a move here. If only you would see. If only you would give yourself over to this. He's going to break in upon the world. He's going to fulfill his promise and he is going to inaugurate his kingdom in the earth even as it is in heaven as he always said it would be and he was, he's about to establish that once and for all time. Can you see it? Can you smell it? Can you, can you feel its impending arrival? It's about to break in over us. Our hope is in, in the Advent story and the work of Christ is that we become these good news people who are anticipating the reality for everything that Jesus is, is authoring around us and for our world. Not just for you, not just for me, but for our world. Our proclamation is this. This is what the proclamation of those who are anticipating and expecting the arrival of Jesus. It's Jesus is Lord. Jesus is coming. His kingdom is right here. It's now at hand. Turn to him and enter in to everything that he's bringing for you. That's the posture and the nature and the orientation. Everything that you and I have ever longed for, freedom from sickness, deliverance from demonic power, um, healing in our bodies, um, a a guilt-free conscience, everything, personal freedom and renewal of relationships and a world that we live in made right where there is justice and no more tears and no more pain, it's breaking in right now in Jesus. More than when you woke up this morning. This this was the anticipation dynamic. They're like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the one, the Messiah, the King, the one we've been waiting for. Maybe this is the moment. 
this Advent, I'm, I, my prayer is that we might, might, like the people in the Scriptures, rediscover as we orientate our lives around Jesus Christ again, this Advent, this next few months, that we would be a people of rising anticipation and expectation of his rule and reign for everything that we're walking through and everything that our world is dealing with. And that we might find ourselves at the front line of all of that by being a people of intercession and prayer. Come and join me at 8.30 every Sunday morning. I dare you. Like, turn up for you, put your coffee order in at 8.20. Jump into the prayer room and they'll deliver it to you. Jump in the prayer room with us at 8.30 for 20 minutes where we just lean towards God and we say, God, everything... Everything that's in your heart for your people this week that you've carried and longed for and that Jesus you have interceded for on their behalf, would you let it come by the power of your spirit that not one person would leave here untouched, unmarked by your grace, your freedom, your deliverance, your power, your healing, your good news, love and kingdom. I dare you, join me at 8.30. Because when there's two or more that gather like that, the king says, I'm in your midst. And if you need coffee, that's all right, I do too. Put your order in at 8.20. This Advent, anticipation looks like this. When we share our story of Jesus with others, and that will come this Advent, because you carry the good news. You are the good news of God into the earth through Christ. You are his righteousness displayed by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're the storytellers. You're the, you're the storytellers of God into the world that you're living in and I'm living in. And as you share your story of Jesus with others, this, this um, Advent, you, you can live with a healthy anticipation an expectation to see people respond with inquiry. More than half will lean towards that. And that's a healthy expectation to have. They'll want to know more. Expectation this Advent as well. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit might also stir in us yet again a healthy anticipation and expectation that when we go to pray for the sick and place our hand on the broken, that we will have a healthy expectation that God is about to come with power to heal, to set free, to deliver, to make everything new. Because that's our King. A healthy expectation. A healthy expectation that when when we invest in the spiritual soil of the generations of children with the seeds of the good news of the kingdom of God, that those seeds will find good soil. Even as I shared that story last weekend of that 31-year-old young man who came here when he was eight years of age, gave and then sorry, 10 years of age, and from 10 to 18. People in this place loved him, cared for him, shared the good news of Jesus with him, prayed with him, walked with him, cared for him, and then he took off. 
And he comes back here, gives his life to Christ. He's never been the same. He's a follower of Jesus, ardent follower of Jesus. He's He's 31 years of age now, and he's involved in a church planting activity with another denomination. I'm just like, yeah, God, that's healthy expectation. That's healthy expectation, anticipation for the kingdom to come. Healthy anticipation and expectation for our children and our grandchildren. And even a healthy expectation and anticipation to know that when I partner with God, being content with my pay and I choose to generously give my resources to the life of the local church in obedience to God, I can have a healthy anticipation and expectation that God will continue to supply all my needs in Christ Jesus and look after me, even as he's taking care of the birds of the air. That's just good, healthy anticipation and expectation. That's, what, that's, that's the invitation this Advent. Remember and anticipate. And lastly, repentance. John the Baptist called the people to prepare for the coming of the king. And it says he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. John called them to repentance. Metanoia. Not just a transformed thinking paradigm, but also a transformed thinking paradigm because of Jesus' lordship and now a whole new way of living life because of that transformation. Thinking and living. It's, it's, you know, often we like, oh yeah, I, I got a good idea. Don't ask me to do it, but I got a good idea. No, no, this is good ideas and doing it. It's living out the life of the thinkings of God. Repentance. It's a turning from and turning toward. Turning away from sin. Away from self-centeredness and selfishness and the need for power and the need for, you know, making sure that I'm looked after before anyone else. Uh, Greed, influence, um, self-righteousness, you name it. It's It's a turning away from all of that. But it's not a turning away to a nothingness of like an ether. No, it's a turning away from that and a turning toward the centering reality of the truth of King Jesus. It's a turning towards him. It's a turning towards his love for us, his forgiveness, and the way that he can take a broken life like mine and turn it around for his greater glory and so that others might know the joy of Jesus, redemption, deliverance, faith, Freedom, grace, and the servant life. Turning away, a turning toward. That's what repentance is. John was saying, I'm going to immerse you in the reality of the coming king. And in that, there will be a turning away from and a turning toward him. As you and I approach Advent, this, uh, this Advent, and we remember Jesus... We're praying for the Holy Spirit to call our heart, Nick and I are, and anyone else's heart that wants to hang around this place to a fresh season of repentance, of turning away from and a turning toward Jesus. 
What's the Holy Spirit calling you to turn from? What's he been trying to, the Spirit been trying to knock on the door of your heart to say, hey, if you would turn away from that and turn toward God. What's the Holy Spirit calling you to turn away from and turn towards in the way that you do your daily life relationships, personal, home, workplace? What's the Holy Spirit calling us to turn from and turn toward in the way that we think about God, the way we think about each other? Ultimately, how much of my thinking in my relationship to God, to myself, and toward others is healthy and life-giving. Turn toward. John the Baptist said that a life that practices repentance is a fruitful life. A fruitful life. I mean, who doesn't want a fruitful life? Who doesn't want a fruitful life? So this Advent, I want to invite you to prepare to welcome Jesus your king once again as we celebrate all the good stuff that the advent season brings to us prepare remember god has come into the world to rescue the world in his son jesus anticipate the dawning of a new reality for your circumstances and for the circumstances of our families, of our region, of our world. There is a new dawn happening and it's Jesus bringing his kingdom. And we can anticipate that. And repentance, a life of yielding to the reality of God's love, a turning toward for the fruitful life.